Return to the Word is made possible by faithful supporters like you. Find out more at returntotheword.com. Welcome to another edition of Return to the Word Radio with Bible teacher Mark Fontecchio. Advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now with today's message, here is our teacher. Make your way to 1 Peter 1, looking today at some strong words from the Apostle about the Word of God itself. Throughout the history of mankind, there have been many different attempts to completely destroy and eradicate the Word of God from the face of this earth. In 303 AD, the Roman Emperor Diocletian ordered the confiscation and destruction of every copy of the scriptures of the Christian faith. Thousands of copies were destroyed, but the Word of God was preserved because believers in Christ protected God's Word many times at the cost of their own lives. They hid the Word of God in the catacombs as countless believers in Christ were slaughtered for the faith. But the result being is that the Christian faith continued and the Word of God was preserved. We are jumping midstream into the heart of the teaching from Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 23. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the Word of God which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. In 1526, William Tyndale had produced the first English translation of the Bible to be printed on a printing press. And by the way, much of his translation forms the basis for the King James and the New King James versions of the Bible that we use today. Tyndale's version was hated by the Roman Catholic Church. The Church of Rome did not want the people of England to have the Word of God in their own language. The common teaching of that day was that there was no need for the Word of God because the people had the Word of the Pope. When young Tyndale was in school at the University of Cambridge, Tyndale heard some students make the comment that all the people of England needed was the Word of the Pope. And he rose from his chair. He struck his closed fist on the table and shouted, I defy the Pope and all his laws. And if God spares me, I will one day make the boy that drives the plow in England to know more of the scriptures than the Pope does. Years of studying led to the printing of Tyndale's version of the Bible, which as a result, Tyndale incurred the wrath of the Bishop of London. This man, the Bishop of London, he began to buy up as many copies of this Bible as he could, and he had them burned. But from the money that Tyndale made from this Roman bishop buying up all these Bibles, Tyndale was able to print three times as many Bibles as he had originally made. Now, eventually, the Church of Rome caught up with him, and they hung him and burned him at the stake. But the damage to the false Church of Rome had been done 
because the word of God had been unleashed to the English-speaking people of the world. In the 1700s, French humanist Voltaire once said, another century and there will not be a Bible on the earth. Well, centuries have gone by in the word of God. It continues to flourish. After Voltaire died, his old printing press and the house that he lived in were purchased by the Geneva Bible Society. His home became a warehouse that stored the word of God for distribution. Joseph Stalin, he was the bloody butcher, of course, that took over the Soviet Union in the 1920s. Stalin instituted a complete ban on the Bible to purge the Bible, to completely erase the word of God from existence. In one city, the city of Stavropol, this order was completely carried out. Thousands of Bibles were taken and believers were sent to labor camps where countless Christians died as enemies of the Soviet state. Many years later, in 1994, a missions team was sent to this city. They did not know the history of the city, but when they had problems getting Bibles shipped from Moscow, someone told them that they knew of a warehouse outside of town where the confiscated Bibles had been stored instead of being destroyed. The mission team prayed about it and determined they would go to the warehouse and ask if the Bibles could be distributed to the people. Sure enough, permission was given, and the next day this team returned to the warehouse with a truck and several Russian young men to help them load the Bibles. One young Russian man that came to help them was hostile to the Christian faith. He was an agnostic. He didn't believe we can truly know about God. He came only for the money he could earn from loading these Bibles. And as they were loading the Bibles, one of the men noticed that this young man had disappeared. And when they had found him, he was in a corner of the warehouse crying like a baby. He had slipped away from the group, hoping to take a Bible for himself. But what he found inside was not only the absolute word of God, he found the handwritten signature of his grandmother. The Bible he had picked up was her personal Bible. Out of the thousands of Bibles left in this warehouse, he picked up the one that belonged to his grandmother, a woman who was persecuted for her faith in Christ. My honest belief is that not a one of us, including myself, fully comprehends just how fortunate we are to have the holy and perfect word of God sitting before us. This is what Peter sets before us in our passage, that the word of God, it endures. The word of God is what brings about redemption. And the word of God is what brings about growth in the life of the believer. Let us look to our text. Notice that Peter wrote, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Peter is expanding his teaching to tell us that our new birth in Christ, our new life in Christ has come about by the word of God. Notice the language that is used, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. Follow the close wording of Peter because his point is powerful. The seed of natural life is perishable, corrupt, and is subject to decay and destruction. It can only give life that is subject to the decay and death of this world. But the new life that the believer in Christ has received is not from this world. It comes from a source that is incorruptible, that is not subject to this death and decay. This is why the lost people of the world, they look at Christians. People of this fallen world look at believers and just know that something is different about them. And the truth is, they are right. There is something different about us. 
We have something not of this world. We have new life that comes from the redemptive power of God's eternal grace. The life that was given to us by our parents, it's precious. And yet the life they've given us, it will end in death. But the new life given to us by God is eternal. Notice what Peter tells us next. Through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Through the word of God, this tells us that it is God's word that the Holy Spirit uses to bring about this new life in Christ. Peter teaches us that God's word lives and abides forever. The gospel message has the very character of God himself. The gospel message brings about life. The gospel is the solution for every man and woman throughout all the ages. The gospel message is not something that needs the help of humanistic thinking or worldly philosophy. The gospel is the very living message of God for the redemption of men. And take a look at how Peter illustrates his point in verses 24 and 25. Because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Peter is pulling this text from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 and 8. So let's break this passage down and follow the flow of thought. All flesh is as grass. Peter was referring to the grass of a meadow, the grass of a field, or even the flowering plants and herbs that were used to feed the cattle. Flesh here refers to the life of animals and the life in man. The image put forth is that even though these wild plants may flower or flourish for a season, the end is the same. They fade away and die as the seasons change. And so it is with the flesh of men. Notice the parallel thought with the next phrase, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass, and all the glory of man. Now that is an interesting phrase. Because man's glory, it centers on the achievements of this world. Everything that men and women have to be prideful about, their wealth, their social status, the things they are good at, the pride of a person's physical appearance, a woman's beauty, a man's strength, even our education, all these things that we like to pride ourselves in are what? They are as the flower of the grass. The grass will eventually fade away, but the part that has the shortest lifespan is the flower. The flowers on this field grass come about later in the season and are the first to fall away with a strong wind. Now, these short-lived flowers that fill the Middle Eastern countryside is what Peter compares the glory of man to. Whatever you pride yourself in most, at best, it is short-lived and will pass away with time. Over the years, I have seen a great number of Christians that were very gifted, educated, and talented, and quite often, that's the problem. Pride so often stands in the way of being used mightily by God. Men and women who have great confidence in themselves, men and women who have great confidence in their own glory, will never live up to the great potential they have simply because their confidence is in themselves and not in Jesus Christ. The last part of verse 24 tells us of the end of this field grass. It withers and its flower falls away. The field grass, just like our grass that we have, it dries up, it shrivels up, and the petals on the flower simply fall away as their season ends. As I read this, I am struck by the timeless imagery that the Word of God uses, language that any man or woman of any period in history can relate to. 
In James, think of what James wrote in chapter 1, verse 11. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man will fade away in his pursuits. Listen to the words of Job in chapter 14. A man who is born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. He comes forth like a flower and fades away. David spoke of this in Psalm 103. As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. The consistent image throughout the Word of God is of life being described as short-lived as the wild grass and flowers of that region. The people saw this each year. They saw what the dry season brought. The grass withers and the flowers lose their glory. A fitting description for the fleeting life of men and women. Now notice the contrast Peter puts before us in verse 25. But the word of the Lord endures forever. The Greek tells us that Peter is speaking of the gospel, the message of redemption, the message of reconciliation with God. This life-giving word of redemption, this life-giving seed of God, it endures forever. Look again at the second part of verse 25. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. The Old Testament quotation from Isaiah told the early Christians that God's word is eternal. And it is the same word of God, the eternal seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ that operates in our lives today. Peter was testifying to the truth of the message of the gospel that had brought about this new life for the Christians reading this letter. When we think of our new life in Christ, so often we fail to take into account the very word of God which predicted the life of our Messiah. Micah chapter 5, verse 2, predicted that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah 40, verse 3, predicted that the Messiah would be preceded by a messenger who we know from the New Testament as John the Baptist. Zechariah 9, verse 9, predicted that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem on a colt. Psalm 41, verse 9, predicted that the Messiah would be betrayed by a friend. Zechariah 11 verse 12 predicted he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Psalm 22 verses 16 and 17 predicted the crucifixion of Christ hundreds of years before this type of death was invented. Isaiah 53 verse 12 predicted that the Messiah would be crucified with criminals. All these prophecies were written down as the literal word of God hundreds of years before the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. My message to you is that in the Bible, there is one story that is interwoven throughout the message of God's redemption. The Bible, the written word of God, is about God seeking to call out a people for himself. God is seeking people to be reunited to him through the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ. Take a look at our next three verses in our text. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Peter is tying his teaching in these verses. Peter is linking his call for the Christians to grow in their faith back to the new birth that the believer has experienced through the word of God. 
the growth that Peter describes in these verses is the only natural and logical outcome for those who have been born again by the living seed of God's word. This obligation that we have to grow in our faith, it first comes about by casting off our deadly behavior that we had before our new birth, casting off the lifestyle that will hinder our growth in Christ. Now notice that Peter tells us this includes laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. The wording that Peter uses when he says laying aside was used for the laying aside of dirty clothes. It literally gives the metaphoric image of someone with clothes that are badly stained. They take the clothing off and cast it aside. Peter is commanding a definite and clear break with sin. The Christian should remove it completely and cast it aside. Notice Peter uses the term all three different times here. These are the attitudes and actions and sins of the heart that will destroy the body of Christ. These are the seeds of destruction that will tear apart the church of Christ, which will, in effect, ruin our testimony for Jesus Christ. Casting off these sins will help the church to avoid the bickering, the backbiting, the division, the jealousy that tears apart the fellowship of believers. Now, malice is pretty close to hatred. It is the desire to inflict pain, to inflict harm, to inflict injury upon another person. This is holding a grudge against another person. Peter warns of the danger of deceit. It is the selfish, two-faced attitude that deceives and hurts other people for personal gain. Christians become guilty of this the most when they try to make themselves look better in the eyes of other people. Anything less than speaking the full and honest truth from the heart is deceit. Hypocrisy. Remember, a hypocrite referred to an actor, referring to a person who takes part in a stage drama, a person who is acting out a part and is concealing his true motives. The perfect example of a hypocrite in the Word of God is Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. Because the hypocrite is the person that conceals their true motives, their true thoughts, their true feelings, and puts on an act, pretending to deceive you with their outward appearance. Envy, most people know this. It is a simple desire to possess what someone else has. But it does go deeper. Envy is resentful discontent. It is the feeling of displeasure a person feels when someone else succeeds or prospers. It's been said that envy is the running mate of hypocrisy because hypocrisy is claiming to have the good intentions that we lack. But envy, it actually takes it a step further and seeks to deny and defame the good of others. Envy is the moral cancer of the church that plagues any group of Christians where self, where self is more important than Christian love. The last behavior that we are to cast off is all evil speaking. The wording means to speak against someone. It puts forth the idea of someone who is running others down. It involves speaking verbal assaults against the character of other people. This is the type of thing that usually takes place when the person being talked about isn't there. Flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 with me. In 2 Corinthians, we find the Apostle Paul rebuking a church that had gone astray. And notice what he wrote, 2 Corinthians 12 verse 20. For I fear lest when I come... I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as 
you do not wish, notice this list, lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, tumults. These are the attitudes of a church that have their focus on themselves, not on Christ and not on loving one another. Paul inserts in the middle of the verse selfish ambitions, and at the end he includes conceit or pride. All these destructive behaviors stem from pride, and I must think that this is a part of the reason why Peter included his teaching on the very truth that our glory, that our lives are like grass that withers. Because once pride and selfishness are done away with, the sins of destruction that Peter includes are cast off out of a love for Jesus Christ. Notice back in our text that Peter now writes in verse 2, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Peter is telling us with this verse that it is not enough just to quit feeding on the lifestyle of our past, but we must begin to feed on the living word of God. A common misunderstanding of this verse is that Peter is speaking only of new Christians in the faith. But keep in mind, some of the Christians that Peter wrote to had responded to the gospel roughly 30 years before Peter wrote this letter. So the idea is not that this is just new Christians here. The idea Peter is putting forth is that just as a newborn baby craves the milk of its mother, so it is that the Christian, the believer in Christ, should be, should be craving for the milk of God's word. In 1 Corinthians and in the book of Hebrews, we see the rebuke where the Christians were told that they were like infants because they could not handle the solid food of the Word of God. But don't confuse these passages because in this text, in 1 Peter, this is not a rebuke of their spiritual status, but rather this is a command, this is an encouragement to crave the Word of God. The word that Peter uses for desire, I cannot overstate how strong of an action this should be. Some translations say crave. Some say long for the pure milk of the word. Some say desire. You see, Peter is telling the church that a healthy spiritual child of God will crave the feeding of his word. But if someone does not, if someone has no desire to gather with their brothers and sisters in Christ to study the teaching of God's word, if someone has no desire to feed on the word of God in their own life, then there's a serious problem. Then either that child is sick in their faith or that person is without faith. Peter paints a beautiful picture of the word of God being intellectual milk. This is the word of God for the mind. And this is what the Bible teaches, that for the believer in Christ, the battlefield is the mind. This is Romans 12, the renewing of the mind teaching our minds with the word of God of who we already are in Christ. The word of God is described as pure, proper understanding of who we are in our relationship to God and in our relationship to one another can only come through the pure word of God. The purpose, of course, is to grow in our faith. Our responsibility is to feed on the word of God and this, this will bring growth. If you're not feeding on the word, you will not grow like God intends for you to grow. These Christians had tasted the grace of God. In verse 3, Peter is actually pulling this from Psalm 34. Listen to that psalm. Taste and see that the Lord 
is good, meaning that those children of God who have tasted God's word know from experience that God is gracious, teaching us in this passage that our study of the word of God is not just to learn for the sake of knowledge, but rather it is to meet the living Christ in his word. We study the word of God to learn more about him and to learn more of how to live for him. In the United States, you can still find Bibles pretty much everywhere. You can find them in grocery stores, prisons, motel rooms. You can find them at secondhand stores for as little as 25 cents. Any size you want, any color you want, leather bound or paperback or electronic. Hundreds of millions of copies are printed each and every year. But despite all of this, there continues to be a famine in much of the world for the Word of God. Pastor Lightkin from Siberia spoke not too long ago at a church in Minneapolis during a visit to the United States. He described his own journey to faith in Christ. His parents were atheistic professors at a university who had raised their son to think for himself. And during his teenage years, he struggled with many questions. When the communists told him there was no God, he came to the conclusion that if his government went through such great efforts to make him believe that there is no God, he thought to himself that there just may be such a God. So he began to search for reading material where he might find the answers. The only books available on the subject at his local library were written by atheists. But the books often quoted verses from the Bible to either mock them or try to refute them. But verse by verse, as he would come across verses of the Word of God, he would write them down. His greatest discovery was a set of encyclopedias on atheism from which he copied by hand every Bible verse that he found in them. It was not very long before he began to pray to God, asking him to forgive him his sins. It reminds me of 2 Timothy 2.9, where we read that the word of God is not chained, the word of God is not imprisoned. How often do we have to work this hard to receive the word of the Lord? Back in 1971, there was a young Christian in Vietnam by the name of Haien Pham. Haien worked as a translator with the American forces, and he had also helped as a translator with the missionaries that were in the country. Shortly after Vietnam fell, Haien was thrown into prison on accusations of helping the Americans. Those who held him in prison tried to indoctrinate him with the propaganda of the Communist Party. They tried to destroy his faith in Christ. Every single day, he was bombarded with the propaganda forced to take in the lies and teaching of men like Karl Marx. It began to take its toll. He began to have some doubts. He began to weaken in his faith. And just when he thought he was at the breaking point the next morning, he was assigned to the dreaded chore of cleaning the prison latrines. And as he cleaned out a tin can overflowing with toilet paper, his eye caught what seemed to be English printed on a piece of paper. He quickly grabbed it, washed it off, and after his roommates had gone to sleep that night, he retrieved the precious piece of paper and read the words, Romans chapter 8. Trembling, he began to read. And it struck his heart when he got to verse 28, which reads, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. The Spirit of God continued to strengthen him, and his heart rejoiced as he read the words of verses 38 and 39, where the Apostle Paul recorded, 
For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As he read these words, he wept. He knew the Bible, and he knew that there was not a more relevant passage for a believer in Christ who was at the breaking point in his faith. He cried out to God, asking his forgiveness for the doubts that he had. After finding the scripture passage in the latrine, Hyann asked the commander if he could clean the latrines all the time because he discovered that some official was using an English copy of the Bible as toilet paper. Each day, Hyann picked up a portion of scripture. He cleaned it off and added it to his collection of nightly reading. What the guards were using for toilet paper could not have been more treasured by Hyann. Hunger for the word. Crave God's word. Eventually, Hyen was released from prison. He fled to Thailand and today is living for Christ right here in the United States as a powerful testimony of the importance and the power of the word of God in our lives. Never quit feeding on God's precious word. And may it be that in our lives, we let the word of God continue to transform us, making us a powerful witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Return to the Word is a listener-supported ministry. And truthfully, it is people like you, those who listen each week, that God uses to help us meet the expense of a ministry dedicated to reaching people for the gospel of Christ and the teaching of God's Word. And so I wanted to take a moment to thank those that support the work, even those that give $5 a month or $10 a month, because those smaller donations, they add up. And we thank you because it keeps the programs free of charge so that others may learn of God's amazing grace. If you'd like to help us out, you can find out more at returntotheword.com. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word.